Hey, what's up everybody and welcome back to That Triathlon Show, the podcast presented by scientifictriathlon.com. I'm your host Michael and this episode is Q&A number 72. Before we get into today's questions, big thanks to our sponsors. First, we have Precision Hydration that you can find on precisionhydration.com. On that website, you can find a tab called Free Hydration Plan, and that will take you to a simple quiz consisting of uh, around about 10 questions that you can answer in a few minutes. And uh, as a result, you will get uh, an estimate for how much uh, you sweat and how much sodium you lose in your sweat. And that information will also be tailored all automatically in that hydration plan to give you an idea of how much uh, fluid and electrolytes you should consume in racing. So that is a great starting point when it comes to formulating your hydration strategy for races, especially important in longer and hot events. Go to precisionhydration.com, take that free hydration plan and get 15% off your electrolytes with the promo code thattriathlonshow15. And a big thanks to Roka that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. One of the newest offerings in Roka's lineup is prescription eyeglasses and prescription sunglasses. This can be found on the US website only at the moment at least. And what's really cool about the options that uh, Roka offers here, here is that they have tons of customization options. So you can, for example, make glasses that uh, match your race kit or your bike if you're going for sunglasses, sunglasses range or perhaps your favorite work outfit for those prescription glasses. They also offer home try-on options. Go to roca.com forward slash TTS and uh, note we don't have the old promo code uh, anymore. We have this landing page, which is which is where you will get your promo code to get 20% off your order on roca.com. So the first question for today is from David. We actually have two questions from two different Davids, and I don't know where either one of you are located, but um, I have chosen the questions anyway because I think they are very good. So David asks, uh, I am keen to include more hill repeats into my training this season and this episode confirmed the benefits. And he's actually referring here to episode 203, uh, the interview that I did with Pete Magill on improving running speed, endurance and performance. My question is, can I incorporate them into a session where I'm also doing an aerobic threshold or LT1 long run? If so, is it better to do the sprints before or after the long run, or is it best not to mix the two? Love the show and listen to it during my long run training. All right, David, thank you for questions. As mentioned, this is in reference to the interview with Pete Magill in episode 203. I'll link to that in the episode description. And in that episode, Pete talks about a few different ways to use hills in your run training. First, you have hill sprints, which are very short, roughly 10 seconds, 12 seconds perhaps, all out sprinting up a hill, relatively steep, but not so steep that it uh, distorts your running mechanics. And with full recovery, so at least one minute is my uh, general recommendation. I seem to remember that Pete actually recommended two minutes of recovery between hill sprints. But the important thing is that you're fully recovered before starting the next one because you want it to be an all-out uh, effort and you want to be at uh, able to able to get everything out of yourself, not just going 100% for the energy you have left, but you want to have energy in you to do the next sprint. So you might do 
eight of them, ten of them, six of them, depending on where you are in your training and uh, what the uh, purpose of your workout is. But say something like eight times ten second sprints with uh, with a minute and a half recoveries uh, between that would be a hill sprint workout, and that will improve your maximum power on the run. It will also work on things like your form uh, in a great way. So hill sprints are very useful. Then the other type of workout that uh, Pete talked about is hill repeats. And those would be longer repeats of 30 to 90 seconds is what Pete uh, mentioned in the episode. And depending on how long or short they are, obviously you would go faster if you're doing 30 second repeats and slightly slower if you're going 90 seconds. And uh, the work to rest ratios might also be different. Perhaps if you're doing 30 second repeats, you have slightly lower work to rest ratios meaning longer rest for a given amount of work and this again is to make sure that you are recovered enough before starting uh, the next repeat because if you're doing short repeats then the purpose of the session should to some extent be that you can actually uh, get a lot of intensity a lot of power output out into that repeat whereas for the longer ones that are more targeting your vo2 max your aerobic capacity versus the anaerobic capacity uh, for them you might have slightly uh, slightly larger work to rest ratios meaning the rests relative to the work duration uh, can be a bit shorter so uh, different uh, different options here for example an anaerobic uh, repeat workout on hills might uh, look like eight times 30 seconds basically all out and then recover for uh, 90 seconds uh, between between efforts and uh, an aerobic capacity or vo2 max workout might look like 10 to 12 times 90 seconds uh, and uh, recovering or jogging down for 90 seconds to two minutes again and before going again and and your effort would still be very hard you would be doing the best effort that you can maintain for all of the 10 or 12 hill repeats Uh, so those are some different ways to use hill repeats as described by pete magill and the point here is that depending on what you're trying to target whether it's more of an anaerobic target versus an aerobic target then the composition of your hill repeat hill repeat workouts will look a bit different but uh, there are many things that you can do with hills and here we are still on the more intense shorter side of the spectrum of course if you happen to live somewhere with long hills or you work with treadmill running then you can do things like tempo intervals and threshold intervals on hills as well but uh, we won't uh, really talk about that in in this question because that's not really what we discussed in the uh, in the initial interview that i did with pete I do actually want to add one more type of hill workout here to the discussion because this is a a type of workout that I prescribe to my athletes as biomechanical work. So we're working on form and uh, the reason again as Pete described to do this on hill hills is that we can't use the elastic recoil as much when running on hills compared to when running on flats or downhills and in this case that means that uh, the elastic recoil and uh, a good efficiency in that way cannot mask inefficiencies in in our form in other ways so we need really need to focus on things like posture uh, arm action and uh, knee drive and uh, propulsion from the foot in the in the foot strike and so on 
So, so those are all things that uh, hill form hills, as I like to call them, are great for. They really make you focus on certain aspects of, of your form to make sure that you can get the most out of the effort that you put in. And then the idea here is that uh, when you're doing these kinds of form hills, they might be 30 seconds or 60 seconds, maybe even 90 seconds for certain athletes. But uh, yeah, that would be probably the, the maximum that I would use as well. But the point here is that uh, in these, you're not going at your maximum effort level you are trying to stay mostly aerobic so the intensity can be pretty strong but it should still be controlled so so even if you're doing short 30 second efforts you're holding back and focusing on form you're not focusing on on intensity so much so uh, these are uh, my workout that i added to the mix of the ones described by pete in episode 203 and uh, they are called form hills in in this terminology or for the purposes of of this podcast anyway so uh, in terms of how to include those in your runs, it's going to depend a bit on which of these types of workouts you are going to incorporate. But in general, the answer is that you can combine any of them with a run, even a long run, with certain caveats and specifically for the long run example that you're asking about. So you should be building up your long run gradually as any long run with or without hill repeats. But uh, now if you're adding hill repeats to the mix, then you should consider the additional stress of having a harder set of work within that run compared to just running low, uh, sorry, running long at a low to moderate intensity. So for example, if I coach an athlete that I would normally give a 90 minute long run, uh, but uh, I decided I want to start including hill repeats in that run, then I would probably go down to making that long run 75 or maybe 80 minutes as the total workout duration to compensate for adding more stress uh, in the form of more intensity in those hill workouts. And then we can build up week by week and get back to that 90 minutes and even longer if that's our goal. Uh, but uh, but we should uh, consider that added stress of the uh, higher intensity that we do in those hill repeats when when we're deciding on the duration of the run. And the second uh, caveat here is that we need to consider the metabolic demands of the workout as a whole. And uh, if you are, for example, going to do something like 10 times 90 seconds at a VO2 max-like intensity as described uh, earlier, then that is 15 minutes of work at your maximum aerobic capacity. That's going to drain you on a lot of energy. And if you do that early on in your workouts, maybe you still have as much as one hour hour of steady running left to do. And can you get through that? Probably yes. But if you want to perform in training later that day or the following day and just generally uh, avoid getting into too deep, acute energy deficits and low energy availability, uh, then you would want to bring some energy to consume during that workout. Uh, so perhaps in the middle of your hill repeat set and then after the hill repeat set when, when heading into the remainder of the run, having a, a gel. So having at least a couple of gels as part of, uh, of that run might be a good idea to to stall that sort of energy depleting effect that combining intensity and long duration would have otherwise. This is critically important. And uh, the higher your overall training load, the more you train in total, the more important this becomes, obviously, because you have a limited time window to to make sure you get in all the, the energy that you need to get in to, to sustain your training. 
Now, as for where in the workout to place them, a good rule of thumb is that the higher the intensity, the fresher you should be to get the maximum benefits from any training. Uh, of course, if we're going to do some sort of sprint training, well, any high-intensity training, we do want to do warm-up. So uh, that's uh, taken as a given, I guess. And the warm-up can be 20 minutes. It can be 30 minutes even. And for some people, 30 minutes might be uh, ideal. You might not properly warm up in just 20 minutes to do some really hard work. So 30 minutes can be perfectly fine as a warm-up. But uh, one hour, that's uh, too long to be a warm-up. Uh, so uh, 20 to 30 minutes uh, or 15 to 30 minutes would be a good guideline as the warm-up duration. And then... If you are doing something very intense, like you're doing those hill sprints, those 10 second repeats, I would say that the ideal situation is to do them immediately after the warm up, because then you'll be warmed up, but fresh with all your energy left and you'll be able to hit them really hard. I would say that the same is true for most hill repeats in the range of uh, intensity that we've been talking about, 30 to 90 second repeats. Uh, so yeah whether they are on the anaerobic side so 30 seconds or the aerobic side of the spectrum 90 seconds so that's more vo2 max uh, the general intensity is still high for any of those you're working close to your capacity for whatever the duration is and in this situation getting the main set if you want to call it that done after a good solid warm-up is ideal because you will have your energy and then and you will be warmed up and then you can do your endurance running after and you can do that even if you are uh, a bit fatigued after the main set the one type of workout that i think you don't have to do immediately after after the workout or after the warm-up sorry uh, is uh, the form hills because they are not very taxing again remember that we're not trying to do them at a uh, anywhere near a maximum intensity we're just running strong or solid but uh, focusing mainly on form not intensity so you could do them anywhere within a run even a long run and there might actually be some benefits in doing a couple of form hills early in the run to promote good form for the next segment of running then re-establish that good form with a few more in the middle of the run and then finish off the run when you're already getting fatigued from having run for uh, an extended period uh, by throwing a few more in still and uh, making sure that you can still maintain a good form while fatigued. So that would be a great way to to use form hills throughout the workout. But you could also do all of them in the beginning or middle or end of the workout. As for your question, if it's uh, better not to mix the two, so long runs and hill repeats, it really comes down to how much you're running each week, how many runs you spread out your different um, types of work on, and what you're looking to get out of your running. As a general answer, I would say that, yes, my preference would be to let the long run stand on its own as a steady endurance run up to lt1 or the aerobic threshold as you mentioned uh, but uh, and if you're doing those harder hill repeats whether you're going for the shorter ones or longer ones that would be its own high intensity interval training hit workout on a different day now hill sprints so the 10 second kind of workout and form hills so the non-maximal uh, efforts they are not very taxing metabolically so I would combine those with uh, a low-intensity endurance run, 
but uh, that would generally be a shorter one a 30 to 60 minute run so uh, and mostly easy aerobic as opposed to the long run which i do tend to at least for more advanced athletes prescribe a steady aerobic so approaching that lt1 if not quite going up to that level this also depends a lot on where the athlete is in the training cycle and and so on but quite often that is uh, what i like to do you might want call it a lydiard style of programming where the long run is steady rather than easy uh, so uh, yeah and and these hill sprints and form hills i would uh, add to an easy aerobic run which is a shorter one so a 30 to 60 minute run which uh, i would still consider a low intensity run even if we throw in a few form hills or hill sprints in there so and in this scenario if you're doing an easy aerobic 60 minute run or shorter then you can include them basically anywhere you like at least if you're a reasonably experienced athlete because even if you go out and do let's say 45 minutes of easy aerobic running followed by hill sprints you will probably do do just as well in those hill sprints as if you were to do them 15 to 20 minutes in if you have good intense good intensity discipline and that easy aerobic running really is easy aerobic but uh, that said i don't think there are any negative consequences on doing them early either that could be a safer bet to make sure that you do them while absolutely fresh the form hills again as long as you can focus appropriately on form you are good so those shouldn't be a problem neither at the beginning nor the end of the workout so that's it for this question thank you david for sending it through and let's get on to the next question which is from another david who asks uh, in reference to uh, episode 209 my injury with james debenham uh, so the question is where are you guys getting this from 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilogram body weight per day of protein is a general guideline but in practice athletes uh, could uh, be benefit from taking in more more than two grams per kilogram body weight per day i agree but i would just like to see a study to back it up david all right david thanks for the question so that's actually you're sort of answering the question uh, when we said that we said in practice and uh, we said that the guidelines are 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilogram body weight because that's what the studies seem to be converging towards generally and there aren't a lot of studies that uh, show benefits from taking in two grams per kilogram body weight of protein per day or more so what we're saying is that based on practice and what some of the best uh, nutritionists are doing with some of the best athletes, uh, it might make sense. Again, this is for high-level athletes or athletes that are doing a lot of training, have a large training load, a large training volume. For them, that it might make sense to go to these high levels of protein. For somebody training just once per day, uh, 10 hours per week or something like that it, there's no need to try to increase protein to to that level that's not necessary 1.4 to 1.8 uh, or 1.2 to 1.8 sorry will be just fine but for the athletes that are training 20 20 hours per week or so then that's where it starts to 
perhaps makes sense just based on anecdote and practice not necessarily based on a lot of evidence but uh, it, it is worth taking note of what the practitioners are doing uh, because science often lags behind practice and just because it hasn't been shown in science yet doesn't mean that it will so that's why we mentioned that uh, that there might be a case for it and uh, again i'm not saying that it's 100 certain that taking in two grams or three grams of per kilogram body weight of protein per day is going to be absolutely certainly better for a, a high volume athlete than to take in simply 1.5 or 1.8 grams per kilogram but uh, i think that uh, there, there is a probability that it is going to be better so i can't really give you a specific study to back that up generally uh, because again most studies do show that that 1.2 to 1.8 grams per body weight is a good amount and it is a good amount it's already significantly more than what a lot of people are getting and the general daily recommendations for uh, the general population is usually in most countries somewhere between uh, 0.8 to 1.0 grams per kilogram body weight so significantly lower than getting around uh, 1.2 to 1.8 grams per kilogram but all this being said i did uh, look at uh, a couple of papers and what they have to say about protein intake in endurance athletes and the first is a pretty new one it's called it's by one of the heavy hitters in the field louise burke uh, it's called nutrition strategies for triathlon and uh, she writes and i quote high quality leucine rich protein sources when consumed in amounts equivalent to 0.3 to 0.4 grams per kilogram of rapidly digested protein at four to five eating occasions per day can optimize training response when athletes are in optimal energy availability and uh, my note here is that that translates to 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram meanwhile a goal of uh, 0.4 to 0.5 grams per kilogram might be required in scenarios of energy deficit or weight loss in which rates of muscle protein synthesis are suppressed or in the case of mixed meals with slower protein digestion and absorption absorption kinetics and my note here is that that translates to 1.6 to uh, 2.5 grams per kilogram of protein Overall daily targets of 1.3 to 1.7 grams per kilogram per day are likely to meet the physique and adaptation goals of weight-stable triathletes. Meanwhile, triathletes who wish to achieve effective weight loss, which promotes the retention or even an increase in lean mass, are advised to engage in resistance exercise and consume a dietary protein in quantities of 1.6 to 2.4 grams per kilogram. So that's uh, one very new from paper from early this year, uh, 2020. And then we have another one, which uh, is uh, probably a year and a half or two years old by now, but still an excellent resource, probably my go-to resource for uh, checking out the, the overall picture of nutrition for endurance athletes. And it's the uh, American College of Sports Medicine position statement on nutrition and athletic performance, which is put together by uh, a big group of uh, very, very highly qualified researchers that are the best in the field. Uh, and... Uh, 
I have actually extracted quite a few segments here that I'll read to give you some additional information just on the importance of protein and why it's important. So bear with me here while I while I read quite a few segments from this paper, uh, but we will get to the amounts as well somewhere down the middle of, of these segments. But I'll start here. Dietary protein interacts with exercise, providing both a trigger and a substrate for the synthesis of contractile and metabolic proteins, as well as enhancing structural changes in non-muscle tissues such as tendons and bones. Adaptations are are thought to occur by stimulation of the activity of the protein synthetic machinery in response to a rise in leucine concentrations and the provision of an exogenous source of amino acids for incorporation into new proteins. Studies of the response to resistance training show upregulation of muscle protein synthesis, MPS, for at least 24 hours in response to a single session of exercise, with increased sensitivity to the intake of dietary protein over this period. This contributes to improvements in skeletal muscle protein accretion observed in prospective studies that incorporate multiple protein feedings after exercise and throughout the day. Similar responses occur following aerobic exercise or other exercise types, albeit with potential differences in the type of proteins that are synthesized. Recent recommendations have underscored the importance of well-timed protein intake for all athletes, even if muscle hypertrophy is not the primary training goal. And there is now good rationale for recommending recommending daily protein intakes that are well above, above the recommended daily averages to maximize metabolic adaptation to training. Focus has clearly shifted to evaluating the benefits of providing enough protein at optimal times to support tissues with rapid turnover and augment metabolic adaptations initiated by training stimulus. Future research will further refine recommendations directed at total daily amounts, timing strategies, quality of protein intake, and provide new recommendations for protein supplements derived from various protein sources. Current data suggests that dietary protein intake necessary to support metabolic adaptation, repair, remodeling, and for protein turnover generally ranges from 1.2 to 2.0 grams per kilogram per day. Higher intakes may be indicated for short periods during intensified training or when reducing energy intake. Daily protein intake goals should be met with a meal plan providing a regular spread of moderate amounts of high-quality protein across the day and following strenuous training sessions. These recommendations encompass most training regimens and allow for flexible adjustments with periodized training and experience. Although general daily ranges are provided, individuals should no longer be solely categorized as strength or endurance athletes and provided with static daily protein intake targets. Rather, guidelines should be based around optimal adaptation to specific sessions of training and competition within a periodized program, underpinned by an appreciation of the larger context of athletic goals, nutrient needs, energy considerations, and food choices. Requirements can fluctuate based on trained status, experienced athletes requiring less, training, sessions involving higher frequency and intensity, or a new training stimulus at higher end of protein range, carbohydrate availability, and most importantly, energy availability. The consumption of adequate energy, particularly from carbohydrates, to match energy expenditure is important so that amino acids are spared for protein synthesis and not oxidized. 
In cases of energy restriction or sudden inactivity as occurs as a result of injury, elevated protein intakes as high as 2 grams per kilogram per day or higher when spread over the day may be advantageous in preventing fat-free mass loss. Laboratory-based studies show that muscle protein synthesis is optimized in response to exercise by the consumption of high biological value protein, providing around 10 grams of essential amino acids in the early recovery phase, uh, 0 to 2 hours after exercise. This translates to a recommended protein intake of 0.25 to 0.3 grams per kilogram body weight, or 15 to 25 grams of protein across the typical range of athlete body sizes, although the guidelines may need to be fine-tuned for athletes at extreme ends of the weight spectrum. Higher doses, uh, that is higher than 40 grams of, of dietary protein, have not yet been shown to further augment muscle protein synthesis and may only be prudent for the largest athletes or during weight loss. The exercise enhancement of muscle protein synthesis determined by the timing and pattern of protein intake responds to further intake of protein within the 24-hour period after exercise and may ultimately translate into chronic muscle protein accretion and functional change. Whereas traditional protein intake guidelines focused on total protein intake over the day in grams per kilogram body weight, newer recommendations now highlight that the muscle adaptation to training can be maximized by ingesting these targets as 0.3 grams per kilogram body weight uh, after key exercise sessions and every 3 to 5 hours or multiple meals. High-quality dietary proteins are effective for maintenance, repair, and synthesis of skeletal muscle proteins. Chronic training studies have shown that the consumption of milk-based protein after resistance exercise is effective in increasing muscle strength and favorable changes in body composition. In addition, there are reports of increased muscle protein synthesis and protein accretion with whole milk, lean meat, and dietary supplements, some of which provide the isolated proteins whey, uh, casein, soy, and egg. To date, dairy proteins seem to be superior to other tested proteins, largely due to the leucine content and the digestion and absorptive kinetics of branched-chain amino acids in fluid-based dairy foods. When whole food protein sources are not convenient or available, then portable third-party tested dietary supplements with high-quality ingredients may serve as a practical alternative to help athletes meet their protein needs. Recommendations regarding protein supplements should be conservative and primarily directed at optimizing recovery and adaptation to training, while continuing to focus on strategies to improve or maintain overall diet quality. So that's the parts that I wanted to read. And uh, I have some links that I've gathered in the episode description that uh, are referencing directly the particular studies where higher protein intake, so we're talking two grams per kilogram body weight per day or more, have been found beneficial. And these are mostly, as mentioned in these segments, special cases like when you are in a uh, caloric deficit or low energy availability or trying to lose weight. In these situations, we have studies to show that uh, a higher protein intake is uh, warranted and is beneficial even. Uh, so so I will link to those, but uh, I won't uh, read them here, but just go to the episode description in your podcast app and you will see them and you can find them on Google. So to summarize all this, I think that aiming for two grams per kilogram 
of body weight of protein for serious athletes with high training loads or and volumes it's uh, good as an insurance policy so that even if you accidentally end up being in temporary states of low energy availability or uh, just caloric deficits you're minimizing the damage done by at least having adequate protein on board uh, plus if you aim for that two grams uh, per kilogram body weight per day rather than let's say 1.5 uh, then and you change nothing else in your diet uh, then that's uh, another insurance policy to make sure that you not end up in low energy availability uh, and caloric deficits in the first place so that's another big advantage but uh, can i say for sure that uh, Everybody who is training 20 hours per week or 15 hours per week or 25 hours per week should be eating 2 grams per kilogram body weight and it's going to be better than eating 1.5 grams. No, absolutely not. That's uh, not something that I can say and I don't think anybody can say that. Uh, but I think that we have, we do have some anecdotal evidence from practitioners that, uh, that for many athletes at high training loads, it may be beneficial to increase protein intake even above those recommended in uh, research reviews like the ones that I've referenced above. So there you go. I hope that answers your questions. Links to all the episodes and uh, and the publications mentioned are in the episode description. And if you want to send in questions for the podcast for future Q&A episodes, email me michael at scientifictriathlon.com and that's michael with a K. If you are looking for guidance, whether it's in terms of coaching or training plans, ready-made, customized, check out scientifictriathlon.com. We have information about all our products and services there. Uh, so go there and have a look. Finally, big thanks to our sponsors, Precision Hydration, that you can find on precisionhydration.com. Go and get your free hydration plan and get an estimate for how much you sweat and how much sodium you lose in your sweat. And take 15% off your order of electrolytes with the promo code that triathlon show 15. And thank you to Roka for sponsoring the podcast. Check out their wetsuits, tri suits, swimskins, goggles, and high performance eyewear, including prescription sunglasses and eyeglasses. And get 20% off your entire order by with the promo code that you can find on roka.com forward slash TTS. Thank you, as always, for listening. Keep training smart and keep loving triathlon.